So Bariloche, the town we were in, had a few parks, but actually we never used them and nobody we knew really used the parks because everything was a park. The mountains were the park. The trails were the park. The lake was the park. So, and every time you met up with somebody, it was to go spend time in nature. So that's actually fascinating. And what a beautiful thing to appreciate. I think Patagonia in particular, like people who move there are looking for that, right? You, you go to Patagonia for nature. So a lot of people, almost everybody came from Buenos Aires looking for that wild nature. And I think there's a real appreciation for it. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. We are in season four, dedicated to interviews conducted about Latin America. As you already know, this season's episodes in Spanish are with Argentinians and the episodes in English with Latin Americans living abroad. This episode is a little different. I have asked my dear friend, Jane Hermstedt, who is a US American, to come speak with me about Latin America. And the reason is that Jane spent two years with her husband and son living in Argentina. They also did quite a bit of traveling throughout South and Central America. So I thought it would be interesting to hear her perspective on things. Real quick, my little blurb about where you can find more information about me. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, my guests, my books, and me, please visit culturium.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-U-M.com or my Instagram pages at DRJ Podcast and at Quadil, Q-U-A-D-Y-L-L-E. And now without further ado, welcome back to the podcast, Jane. Hi, Henriette. So Jane, would you mind introducing yourself very briefly to the audience? By the way, Jane is also on the episode entitled Travel Bug, where she talks extensively about her travels and about her education and about why she travels, etc. So if you'd like to know more about Jane, then tune into that episode. But let's just kind of bring the listeners for this episode up to date a little bit. And, and then we'll dive into the questions about Argentina. Sure. Uh, so um, I, I grew up in Kansas and my mom is from Hungary, like Henriette. And because of that, I got a big interest in everything international really from a very young age. We always used to travel abroad once a year to Europe and that was the highlight of my year. And it's been a lifelong interest. So I spent about 10 years living abroad in my uh, really from late twenties to early to late thirties in Japan and France. I did the Peace Corps in Albania. I lived in India for a year. And then I got married. I went back to Kansas, got married with my, my husband, who's from America, and we settled down in Kansas and we're together there for about five years. And we started to think about retirement and what we would do and planned it for the future. And um, we thought about doing it abroad. And then the more we thought and talked about it, the more we thought it would be nice to bump it up so that our son could experience living internationally with us. 
And we did, we were able to work that out. And so when I was 45, we sold our house, sold our cars, sold our belongings pretty much. And we moved to Argentina about uh, two weeks before the country closed down its borders because of COVID. And so we were in Argentina for those two years. And we left in December and are now actually in Australia traveling and we're moving to Spain at the end of the year to, to continue the adventure there. So that is the, the short version. Incredible. It's incredible. I mean, and again, please, everybody tune in to Travel Bug, where Jane talks a little bit more about each of these countries. It's also it's one of our most popular episodes, by the way, Jane. Um, but let's focus on Argentina and why you decided, because, you know, sort of this whole season is trying to discover for myself and for the listeners, well, what as much as we can about Latin America. And, and, and I really what what interested me was this juxtaposition of, of different views. And so that's why I have all these Latin Americans who now live abroad looking back on their childhood, on their experiences in Latin America. And then I have these Argentinians who are sort of very much anchored in their country and are from there and are still living there and have family there and work there and feel very much at home there, which is so envious. I'm so envious of that. And you are kind of in between, right? Because you lived in Argentina, you're not... Argentinian and so you have this American perspective on that so why did you first and foremost move to Argentina why did you pick it as the country of choice we were looking for certain things so we were looking for a country that our money would go further so cost of living was a factor we were looking for a place that we had some anchor in the language so I didn't speak fluent Spanish, but I had a base in Spanish, probably lower intermediate when I arrived there. So we were thinking about that because it would just make things a little bit easier to have that. Um, and then we were looking for a place that had nature really accessible. So Matt and I both really enjoy spending time outdoors, hiking, just being in nature. So we were looking for places that had just like cities, that towns that had nature really close around. And so looking for those, it wasn't so much like the country as the cities probably that we were looking at. So we, we looked at Mendoza in Argentina, which is right, in the, right next to the Andes and has lots of really wild nature very close to it. We looked at Bariloche, which is where we, we settled in Patagonia. And it's a smaller town than Mendoza, but also like you were there. So really in the mountains and just absolutely stunning from a natural perspective. So like the amount of outdoor recreation available there was, I mean, hard to beat. Uh, we also looked at Chile. To, we looked at the Pucón area of Chile. Uh, we looked at Ecuador. But when we were just lining things up, there was something about Patagonia and like the mystique and the you know, the, the kind of legend of Patagonia that was just hard to beat. So we, we decided to go for Bariloche and it was incredible. I mean, it was in, to be locked down in the, the Lake district, these, you know, turquoise waters and these mountains it was perfect. And again, a little bit of background. So we had decided we wanted to go on this, uh, the German government allows you to take maternity and paternity or parental leave until the child's eighth 
birthday. And so we had already planned always to take family time uh, out and originally planned to go to Australia. But because Australia was completely locked down, uh, we were looking for another destination and Argentina was still locked down. But we knew you, we knew some other people, and you were saying, well, they're opening up the borders to Chile. And there are so, so we had hope. We actually purchased our tickets when everything was still locked down. It was a complete gamble, right? And so that's how we ended up in, in, in Argentina. And you and I have been friends since college, and we've seen each other on and off. And I knew you were moving to Argentina, but... Uh, also knew that you were moving away from Argentina. So when we ended up coming, we were not sure if we'd see each other. And then you ended up being there for the week that we were in Bariloche. You were, it was your last week there. And then the, the, the funny part, just for the listeners, was that we had rented this absolutely amazing Airbnb. It was the, oh my God, it was a dream. Wasn't it Jane? I mean, it was was an absolute dream. I will put it in the show notes um, because I can really, I I rarely ever recommend places, but I can absolutely recommend this place. The the hosts were incredible. The house is incredible. It's, it was a really, really special experience. And it was five minutes away from, from your house. (laughs) By total, total coincidence. So we ended up spending a week there together and, and doing a lot of outings and 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 you and came to a going away party and even your right? going away party everything exactly and it was it is breathtaking it is the most beautiful it's heavenly you, you, there is that's I think the best way to describe it, it is heavenly <laughs> yeah a stunning stunning place so yeah so that's where we landed and I mean every place has its ups and downs right but um, in terms of a lockdown place when the world was really grappling with this pandemic. And we had, we didn't know that going there, right. That happened, but it just happened to be like the most pristine, healthy place probably that we could have been. Mm, Absolutely. So I told you uh, before the interview that you're kind of the pivotal point in the season. So I have conducted some episodes already or some interviews already, and I will conduct some more. So you're right in the middle. And I, I, planned it that way because I thought you'd have this perspective right you know so you'd kind of see both sides I think so let me get into some more difficult questions so you moved to Argentina todo bien right but then you decided to move away and what were the main reasons that you decided because you had originally planned to stay longer in Argentina but you decided then to move away could you go into that I mean I don't know how much you feel comfortable with but yeah, so I would say the, the number one reason we decided to move away was education. You know, it's a small town, so it's Bariloche has about 100,000 people, and it has a number of schools to choose from. Most people that we knew, everybody that we knew actually had their kids in private schools, which were quite affordable. I mean, there was a brand new school that was opening. There was a lot of buzz around this school and we were able to get into it. So our son Wolf was in the opening class and it was supposed to be a a natural sciences themed school. So we had really high hopes for that, that to go to a natural sciences themed school, it was supposed to be experiential, lots of outdoor education. We thought there would be a high emphasis on math and science and the natural world and things like that. And we were really disappointed. So basically 
the approach of the school, and I don't think it's just this school. So I think my understanding is that this was similar in, in other schools, is that they were very sympathetic to what the kids had gone through in terms of lockdown. And because of what the kids had gone through, they wanted to really like focus on their emotional well-being and not go too heavy on them academically. So that was one thing that we heard, and that's completely counter to my own perspective on it. So I don't know what your thoughts are on the Sunria, but for me, if the kids have not been getting an education because they didn't have school was closed down for an entire year and now they're back in school and we know that they've missed out on a lot, I think that's the time to double down and say like, all right, we know you've had to deal with this pandemic. We know that there's been educational loss. We're all in this together. Here's the plan to get the kids back on track because we don't want you to go into next year further behind and then further behind and you never catch up. So we're going to have, you know, our plan during the day. We're going to have workshops after class that are voluntary, but that we recommend to like get kids back. And it was the opposite of that. It was just so light that, I mean, I thought it was a total disservice to what I thought, I mean, what I think the kids needed. Math, for example, they were probably two years behind what I would expect. So they started sending out updates on what the kids were doing. And, you know, we could see all the grades, what, what they were working on. And we would see these newsletters saying things that, you know, at the end of the year in fifth grade, the fifth graders were working on t- memorizing times tables and doing subtraction with number lines. And, you know, these are things that, like, third grade, Probably, oh, definitely no. earlier. Not. Oh, are you earlier. Okay. Here, uh, your you have your your times table. End of second grade at the latest. At the oh no, earlier, earlier, earlier. Second grade, you're yeah. at it. So second grade, for, yeah. So sec third grade, latest, not like the end of fifth grade. So seeing that, I mean, we were doing a lot of supplementing at home, which was fine. I mean, so for us. Just having him, having our son learn Spanish was worth it for school. But then he learned Spanish. He learned it really well. He learned it better than, better than me, for sure. And then to have him stay there a second year, when all of the schools seemed similar in terms of the level, didn't, didn't seem really fair to him. So we thought if we were going to move, we'd rather do it sooner rather than later to give him kind of more time somewhere else. Basically. So again, just uh, because it's so important for me to see really all all sides, and I don't want anybody to feel criticized or any, you know what I mean. I don't I, that that is not the point of my podcast in any way ever. It's all more sort of you know like uh, pointing out the 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 good parts, right? And I think um, just just because I I conducted an interview before you, right, with uh, on education, la educación en Argentina. And it's, it was conducted with two principals uh, in Esquel, so two school principals in Esquel. And these were people we had met in Argentina who had who welcomed us into their home and absolutely lovely people, absolutely amazing views on education, absolutely um, brilliantly intelligent. Um, also, what you, you should listen to, the, to that episode, what they say about their views on education and how they lead their school and how they see it all. So they go into very much about 
well, all the things that you find important, right? So there's also the math and the science and the reading and the literature, but there's also the culture and looking into indigenous cultures, looking into nature, looking at, you know, sort of helping kids with diversity and inclusion and um, sort of down the spec, you know, the whole spectrum down the line. And what I could observe from, again, their lesson plans and, their own children. Everybody was very well balanced and educated and, and doing great. So just to kind of balance off what you, what you said, but I heard what you're saying from a lot of people as well. So, so there seems to be um, a, a bit of a discrepancy, perhaps between schools, perhaps it takes that good principal and those good educators to have a great school in a, in a particular community, you know? I mean, this the, the two principals were from Esquel or are from Esquel, but it seems to be a problem when you when you extend it to the to the entire country. And there seems to be very big discrepancies between what is offered in public schools and what is offered in private schools. Yeah, we heard that a lot too. Um, we heard that the the level in Buenos Aires was very different, much higher. To be fair, like it was very much coming from a good place, right? So, like, the idea was that, like, what the kids needed yeah. this attention to their emotional well being and that that was the priority. It was a philosophical difference, right? So, they really believed that you had that that was foundational and that you couldn't teach kids if they didn't have, they hadn't healed from the trauma of the pandemic. It just doesn't happen to me, my philosophy. I mean, I just think kids are resilient and you've got to get them up to track. And that in itself is healing to like know that you're where you're supposed to be and that you can carry on. But I think that they were they were not coming at, at it from like a point of like thoughtlessness. I mean, I think they thought about it. Absolutely. No, no, no. But I but I really appreciate your comments. And I sort of I knew that you had moved away because of the education system and because you wanted to have a sort of a better system for your son, a more stable system for your son. And, and I, um, I totally appreciate your view. And that's, that's what I try to do. I try to sort of present different views and then people yeah. can just listen to it. And I think that's the whole point. We want to talk about yeah. it, right? So, so it's all boring if we only talk about, or it's all boring if I only talk to people of the same opinion. That's my whole point yeah. is that we should not have stigmas anymore. We should be able to voice our opinions respectfully and then see where our common ground is. That's my, that's my big <laughs> cultural agenda. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> so Argentina is very well known for its university education, right? There are, there are people go from all over the world to study in Argentina. Uh, university education is for free in Argentina. And it, from what I have been able to research and read and hear, the university education is quite, quite excellent, quite strong. So again, it's it's um, it's different views, different uh, uh, ways of approaching it. I think it's also what we both said that that schools in the bigger cities, schools in, for example, Buenos Aires, Esquel, Mendoza, you know, sort of some of the bigger cities, uh, Cordoba, uh, are much better. But one thing that for the listeners who are non-Argentinian and non-Latin American, it really surprised me how small the cities are in Argentina. From, from our travels and we went all over, really Cordoba and uh, Buenos Aires are the big cities where I could say, okay, there was a city. 
Um, even Esquel, if I lived in Argentina, I would live in Esquel. I loved Esquel. Oh. It has to do with these amazing people we met there, among them these two principals who were um, who have also been interviewed. I loved the city. I loved the nature around it. I loved, it had a little square and it had still this city flair and it had sort of, it seemed to have this infrastructure and more services and everything, you know, sort of, I'm talking libraries and hospitals and yeah. so it seemed to be a bit more of a city, a museum, things like that. But at the same time, dirt roads, most of the roads are dirt roads, these fabulous houses, total sense of community people seem to be very much together talking um you know very much the flair for me uh, like in El Borson I love El Borson mm -hmm. but El Borson would be too yeah. small for me to live in you know yeah that's just from the feeling um but education medicine uh, museums, art, uh, the availability of sort of this, what we associate with uh, Sociedad Desarrollada, right? A, a developed uh, civilization, developed country, they center in these cities. And, and the rest is very rural, absolutely pure nature and breathtaking yeah. and fabulous. I mean, you have these, I had these epiphanies, these, these moments of absolute serenity of coming to yourself and being philosophical contemplative moments really contemplating life <laughs> the existence yeah. God, the universe really moments that I think sort of I don't know if you can have when you're in the middle of a populated area or populated uh, space or populated nature even right so yeah um, maybe, I don't know if that made any sense, but maybe a comment yeah. to that. No, I mean, I think you're right. So the, the town that I was in, Bariloche, I mean, it has theaters and it has like, you know, some, some artistic groups and programs that would normally be going on. So I don't know what it would be like in a, in a normal time. Cause all of that stuff was shut down almost the entire time we were there. But I think you're definitely right that in terms of just the things you associate with culture, right? It's not what you go to Patagonia for. So if you want culture in Argentina, you really go to Buenos Aires. There's so much there in, in terms of that. And what you go to Patagonia for is nature. And it would, you know, it'd be nice if there was a little marriage there. And maybe there, you know, maybe there is in non-COVID times. So I don't really know, but my experience with anything cultural in Argentina was pretty minimal outside of Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. So let's go to that. There is an episode on art in Argentina uh, after yours. It's towards the end of the season. And uh, I won't give away too much, but it is with a lady who has started an art program on her farm. And it oh, is wow. one of the most beautiful things that I have ever seen. One of the most artistic you know imaginative all-encompassing oh it is oh it is absolutely out of this world I find it one of the most exciting artistic experiences that I've had but everybody has to just wait till that episode wow. but I was really delighted also to have that experience because one of the things that I missed while I was in in Argentina and again 
we were at the end of COVID, right? So I don't know how much, like, for example, we couldn't really go to a tango show in, and we wanted to go to a tango show in Cordoba. Uh, we ended up going to see outside tango shows in Buenos Aires, which was great, but we didn't see an authentic uh, a tango show in Cordoba or anywhere else, really because there were so many restrictions and it was just so we were traveling afterwards as well flying internationally so we didn't want to risk it and and it was just and it was kind of just weird so so we just didn't didn't end up doing that and Ah. that as well I don't know if if a lot of it was affected by by COVID but what I missed the most in Argentina and I and I really again I, I before I even say this I apologize to all Argentinians for saying this, if I'm wrong. And, and you know, sort of, um, again, it just comes from my own observation. And, and so what, what I missed was this, this, this art, music, paintings. There were, there were great artists who were making little jewelry pieces and uh, that really, really fabulous everywhere. Uh, little bracelets, things like that sort of small arts and crafts that was there was an abundance of that and brilliant ones really um but i missed you know sort of and and i and i expected to have kind of something similar to what i experienced in mexico and venezuela that that's where my travels in in latin america have concentrated before i went to argentina and i expected a lot more music in the streets people yeah. dancing people singing people playing the guitar I expected a lot more art in the sense of, yeah, little art galleries, paintings, even street art, things like that. I expected a lot more street acts. There, 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 you know, sort of people performing and, you know, sort of theaters and ballet and more, more sort of all of these performing and visual arts. And I didn't come into contact with it. And again, I apologize if it's just sort of our, um, then we just didn't know where to go or we were enjoying the nature too much. So we were spending time, you know, in in these serene, pristine, virgin uh, places where obviously you can't have art. Um, Another comment, we were told that there was a lot of, I missed indigenous art. I missed indigenous art as well. But we were told that we that part we didn't man, manage to see, which was like in the area of Kukui and up north. Yeah, and, Salta. and Salta, exactly. Yeah, so I think, I mean, Argentina, Argentina is so big that I do think that you can find that Tucumán, like those areas, you can find much more indigenous culture because they border Bolivia and, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of traditional Argentina, um, but it's so big that it just doesn't seem, you don't feel that in Patagonia very much, at least none of the places that I traveled through. The street performances, we did have lots of buskers in Bariloche. So I don't know if you, if that's what you're talking about in terms of performances, but we had, we had buskers that most of our, regular traffic lights that we had to go through. So it's kept our money out for them. But yeah, I think that it's different from a lot of Latin America in that sense, right? That it's like, so before we went to Argentina, we went through Ecuador, for example, and we spent a few weeks in Ecuador. And in, you know, in Ecuador, like Mexico and a lot of 
other countries in Latin America, there's stuff going on everywhere, right? So the, the street performances with people in traditional dresses dancing and you don't know why or what's going on or, you know, indigenous little group singing um, are this, it's very traditional, like much more of a sense of traditional life where Argentina does really, you really feel how it straddles that European culture, which has pluses and minuses, right? So I think you feel like that it's, it feels culturally sophisticated in many ways, especially Buenos Aires. And like, there's, there's lots of ties to Europe. Lots of Argentines come from Italy and still maintain really strong family connections. It's very recent. And, but then in other ways, like you, you don't feel that traditional South American culture. Like it's become, it's become something its own, something unique which is very interesting in terms of a place to live, right? Because you spend time there and kind of peel back the layers of like how it's, how it's European and then how it's not, right? Because you come from Italy, but you come to Argentina, then you're not, you're not Italian anymore. You become something else. So it, Argentina is its own. It's very different from anywhere else I've ever been in South America. And like, those are the things that you notice I think very much evidence of that. The the thing, the 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 dog that's not barking, maybe it's like the things that aren't there that you would see in other places are are different. Mm-hmm. So going back to art a little bit, because I was, you know, th- this is one of my things. I love performing arts and visual arts, and this this is, you know, of course, books and literature and everything as well. But so I was always looking for that, and what I could find was that. If, if I were asked what is art in Argentina, I would say nature is the art in Argentina. And again, mm-hmm. without giving too much away, the artist and the lady who uh, promotes her art uh, that, that I, I will interview her later in the season, she mixes nature into it. And this is purely Argentinian art and it's part of nature. And that's part of the thing that I find so exciting and fascinating about what she does. But I would say that it's nature. And, and I found that people were very, for example, I made one comment about the, our car getting very dusty. And yes. I just, because I was like, sort of my legs were always, <laughs> my legs were always covered in dust. The car was covered in dust. And it didn't really bother me. It's just sort of, it was, it was different, right? And I made one comment to an Argentinian about it. And she said, well, it's, it's nature, it's part of us. And, and just sort of very much like, well, why are you complaining about it? Then, you know, it is part of life. And I, and I thought about it. And then sort of just another comment, this was in visiting other friends where we had asked, they were living in a very affluent neighborhood in a beautiful home, <laughs> but the streets, and this is not in Esquel, just because I said, I love the, the, the dirt roads in Esquel. This is in a different city. The streets were all dirt roads. And I said, oh, so is it a new community? Are you guys going to, you know, get streets? And they, they looked at me very strangely and said sort of, no, no, no. We as a community decided to have these streets because it's natural. They're, they're perfectly fine. And, you know, people drive slowly on them and it's good that they drive slowly on them. And so, so again, you know, this nature and, and, then, and then one last comment 
when I would say, well, what do you, what do you do for a pastime, for a hobby, for entertainment, you know, sort of the idea of being going to the theater, going to the museum. They said, we go out in nature. We go, there are so many beautiful parks. We go spend time in a park. And there too, you have to imagine that there is no kiosk or little hot dog stand or anything. It is nature. There are no beach chairs or lake chairs. There is nothing. Yeah. People go with their little blanket or they go with their little chairs that they take themselves and they take their little sandwich or their little empanadas or whatever they take. And you go into this nature with your stuff and you go out of nature with your stuff. There is no trash. You don't ruin anything. Uh, and so I think that is their art and it's absolutely admirable. Maybe a comment about that. So that's fascinating. That's really fascinating to think of the nature as art in that way. I mean, we definitely experienced that with the roads in Bariloche that, you know, there, there was always dust in the car. We gave up washing the car. We just gave up. It was, we washed it when we, when we wanted to sell it at the end. Um, and we were always fighting the dust inside the house because you're just constantly getting dust inside. But every single activity, almost everything, except for meeting, maybe, you know, meeting at a restaurant involves nature. So Bariloche, the town we were in had a few parks, but actually we never used them and nobody we knew really used the parks because everything was a park, right? The whole, the mountains were the park, the, the trails were the park, the lake was the park, right? So, and every time you met up with somebody, it was to go spend time in nature. So that's actually fascinating. And what a beautiful thing to, to make art, right? And to appreciate, I mean, I think Patagonia in particular, like people who move there, are looking for that, right? You you go to Patagonia for nature. So a lot of people, almost everybody came from Buenos Aires, pretty much. Buenos Aires or Cordoba, um, looking for that wild nature. And I think there's a real appreciation for it. And it's to frame it as art, I think you can. I think that, I don't think that's a leap too far. Right, and what 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 better museum than an outside museum of art right and, they and we're all contributors <laughs> yeah they absolutely appreciate it I remember having conversations with people about about how stunning it was in the the lake area where we were and about how you know I'd been there two years and by the end it never got old the views like every single time I drove my son to school through the mountains it never got old past the, the stunning lake, never got old. And I, you know, I remember talking to some people who lived there for a long time and asking like, do you still see this or have you lived here so long that, you know, you just drive to school and you don't even notice it. And they all, like everyone I had that conversation with said, no, like I see it every day. I see it. And, and that too, sort of in their daily lives, people work a lot with, I saw unbelievable houses that had orange trees integrated and you know these trees and these plants and this and animals a lot of chicken that were raised on private properties and 
it is people spending a lot of time in creating. And I guess that's what I would say, creating their own art through their Mm. little gardens, their little, you know, everybody had these little uh, vegetable patches and, and, you know, sort of art in this sense, this very natural art, this just kind of creating beauty in your own surroundings by affecting nature as little as possible, but by nurturing it. Yeah, I'm all almost all the fences that we saw were hedges, very tall hedges, you know, so you would go to these houses that were like right inside the city. And you wouldn't know you would you wouldn't know there was a neighbor next to you because instead of seeing like um, a wooden fence or a metal fence, you would have these tall hedges. Beautiful way to kind of separate yourself within a city. But okay, so let's go on to a different topic, and this is the episode that I conducted in Spanish. And your episode follows this episode. So this is right before your episode. And the title of the episode is La Mujer Argentina. Okay. And it's with a friend of ours from Cordoba. So how would you describe the role and the position of women in today's Argentina? So the Argentine women that I knew were very... um, strong I would say like a feminist um but in a a really lovely way so you would see you would see gender roles on things like the asado right the barbecues that are a massive part of Argentine culture like go to an asado weekly probably in, in Argentina somewhere and the men do go off and do all the grilling and the women do other things, you know, so you've got, you see some gender roles with something like that, but the women that I met there were all like, you know, spoke their minds and very, had strong opinions and very, um, you know, clear roles in the family that were very, seemed very equal. And um, yeah, the, the women were not, any stereotype by of and shrinking violence in a macho culture or anything like that. And I guess that's what I'm getting at because again, there were so many things that surprised me in Argentina. And one of them was women as well, because I was thinking of well, stereotypes, right? My stereotypical Latin American woman. And again, I did encounter this in Venezuela. <laughs> so it was based on personal experience. But, you know, a lot of plastic surgery, a lot of makeup, a lot of fancy dresses, a lot of outside signs of femininity and wealth. And I didn't see this in Argentina. I found women to be very natural, very athletic, very outdoorsy, very little makeup, very little, right? So this is something that surprised me. I don't know if that's the same in Buenos Aires. Um, So I didn't spend enough time there because of the pandemic. Most of my time was in Patagonia and other parts of Argentina that were more kind of natural areas. And everywhere I was, was aligned with what you're saying. The women in Bariloche, I never saw anyone in heels. I mean, like almost like I could almost count it on, on a hand, 
the times because he's just so impractical there. Uh, not very natural. Yeah, all, all of the things that you're saying. I have heard that it's that it's different in Buenos Aires. Uh, and we went there kind of a week coming and a week going, and I didn't really notice it actually being that different. But I've heard that it is. So it might depend on where you where you are. But yeah, that I mean that would be another another difference. I think for where I was, it was really because of the place, you know, right. the kind of people. Yeah, I had a dermatologist. You met her actually, Dr. Noelia. She was at my my going away party, uh, our going away party, and she was from Buenos Aires. And she talked about that sometimes about how like, you know, she would sort of bemoan that like it was so hard to get women in Bariloche to take care of their skin and put on sunscreen and. You know, just sort of like the the ba- moisturizer at night, just like basic, basic. And she she said that in Buenos Aires it was very different. There was a lot more. Even than- that, that's something we talked about: is that people didn't wear sunscreen. Being quote unquote natural to that extent, where it was just like, well, it's just the sun, and it's part of me, and it's you know, my skin gets tougher because I don't wear it, and then. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the sun's intense there. Like that's a ski town. But so so just to tell you what the the inner what the results of the interview were the the one that that was before you one of the things that uh, Sissy told me about was that there is a lot of plastic surgery but it's all boob jobs. Interesting. Have you heard about this? So so she was and I don't again this is not you know research well founded research but she talked about sort of plastic surgery in uh, uh, Argentina seems to very much center around breast uh, augmentations, et cetera. <laughs> and, I, and I was wondering, you know, also why particularly that? And <laughs> so. I, I didn't notice that in Bariloche or kind of around anywhere that I was. I can't think of any of the women that I knew that I think had breast implants. So like <laughs> that does, that actually does not align with anything that I've ever seen. So that might be like, a different area or different different demographic I didn't see that yeah okay the only time you would see like the hyper femininity in Argentina was really like at the beach you know the 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 thongs and and all of that would be out on full display so that was very and on all body types which was actually something that I thought was interesting like that it in it at the beach but also like at the pool like where we would take our son for his swimming lessons you know the the girls would be in one piece thong swimsuits and so you know this but of all like literally all body types so it was in ages so it wasn't something that was only the realm of like the 22 year old like with them perfect figure it was very much like very again going back to like this very natural kind of accepting viewpoint though that anybody has the right to to wear this and I thought it was very liberating liberating I kind of wish I had that body confidence to go out there like that (laughs) good for you yeah well I know I can support what you're saying my my husband was very excited about this uh aspect of Argentina I remember him uh we spent some time in in the Mar del Plata area so in Cariló 
on the beach. So oh, yeah. that was an observation of his, but we also um, <laughs> at different pools and things like that, where he was uh, quite uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in support of this uh, the fashion <laughs> trend. So. Yeah, my husband too. <laughs> no problem with it. But, but I agree with you. I, 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 I observed that as well, uh, very much so. So let's stay with this, with the gender roles and, and women in, in particular. There is still a lot of, this is something that Ceci addressed as well. And I wonder if you observed that as well. There is still a lot of machismo. There is still a lot of, there are still a lot of problems with gender equality. Anything you could observe on, on this front? So I didn't see, I didn't see a lot of that on Riyadh. And, you know, I wonder um, what the correlation is with socioeconomic levels and education. So it might've been, you know, the, the people that I was around were high, were well-educated Argentines mostly, but I did not see that. So in, I'm thinking about the travels that we did. So we traveled all the way up to Misiones in the, the north, and we stayed at Airbnbs that were hosted by families. So we did interact with lots of different people. And even in some of those like smaller communities, I didn't get that sense. So I, I know that there's the, the data on that. I know there's domestic violence and that that's an issue in Argentina. And I saw it in the newspapers. So actually, like, my husband and I would talk about that, that like, wow, there's another story about domestic abuse, domestic violence against women. And that seemed to be something that we saw in the news every like two or three days, there seemed to be a story about some, something kind of brutal um, with alcohol involved and violence. But I didn't see that. I didn't see among the friends that I knew, the Argentine friends, women or I, I didn't get any sense of that. That wasn't my experience, but I, I think you're absolutely right. And I know that that's there. Mm. And again, uh, these wealthier, more educated cities or centers versus the less educated, socioeconomically less advantaged, vast countryside where you have probably these, the source of these stories and of these demographics and of these of these uh, statistics. Oh, and I heard that a lot of it got worse with the pandemic. I mean, and I think this is probably worldwide, but it was definitely the case in Argentina that that with people locked down together for very long periods of time, it did not help with domestic violence numbers and incidents, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, neg negatively correlated, right? Mm -hmm. Well, um, to leave it on a positive, to leave this uh, topic on a positive note, Ceci uh, is pregnant with a son, uh, or maybe she will have had her baby by the time the episode airs. But one of the things she talked about was how she and her husband are very much intent on raising their son uh, to respect women and to sort of, that she believes that it's a matter of changing it step by step and, and just instilling these values in the future generation. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to work with there. I mean, the, I'm just sorry. I'm still thinking back to like maybe the original question about like what I observed around that. 
So I had my group of friends and people that I, I hung out with. But like, if I think about the school where our son went, it was almost 100% female working there. Although I don't know that it was that different in Kansas City at the school, probably similar, but almost, I think the music teacher was male, but everybody else was, was female. And then the Asados are like such a striking place for that. But yeah, it's interesting to think about that changing because I think philosophically, the people that I knew, and we, we would talk about things like this, we're very much expecting their daughters to grow up to be strong figures like they were and their sons to be respectful of women. So I don't doubt that that's the direction that the country is continuing to move. I wonder what it's like in rural areas and areas with less education and how that, you know, how that's going to bridge. Be curious, curious to see how that evolves. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to a very strong woman that you introduced me to. And this is the episode that will follow yours. And that is Carol Jones. Uh, So do you want to tell us anything about her? So you, we wanted to go horseback riding and you said, I know just the place to go and took us to this breathtaking place in the middle of a national park. And introduced yeah. us to Carol Jones and her estancia. So, I mean, Carol Jones is somebody like that I'd heard about in Bariloche and uh, bef- before I went there. And like she was described as like an institution. She's like a legend. I mean, uh, she's somebody like so well known for her, her family history in the community, which I'm sure she'll talk about in her episode but that ties all the way back to American gangsters. Go ahead. And it's, it's not a spoiler alert because, and I have actually conducted the episode, the, the, the interview already. Um, and, but it's in Spanish. So feel free to talk about it because that's also one of the things that, you know, I wanted to make sure that my English speaking uh, listeners would also get some of these episodes. And I didn't want to do like in season two, a translation of what was said. I think that's a little bit, a little bit okay. boring, a little bit unimaginative. So go ahead and you're not spoiling anything, I don't think. Okay, good. I mean, I think it was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid who ended up staying on her her grandfather or her great-grandfather's land, hiding out and developed a kind of a relationship with them. And I mean, so they have been around and have these ties that go back so long. And I mean, so Carol Jones, yeah, we were like, we were honored to go out and ride with her. And she's the most humble, interesting, gracious, generous person. Like we were so struck by her, how generous she was sharing her stories and just talking about her experiences and her family. Um, So it wasn't just like the nature and this place where you can go ride, but it was this matriarch that's part of this line with this amazing history and also an artist so when we were there she had these beautiful little horse ceramics all around that she and her daughter had made and they gave one to wolf and he immediately went home and and painted it but yeah this 
creativity also. We had an amazing experience with her and we went back several times to ride. And when we had friends come to Bariloche, we told you, we went with you. And then we also had some other friends who came and we told them the same thing that like, you've got to meet Carol and go, you've got to go on a ride with Carol. And they did. And they told us that, so they were in Bariloche for uh, two weeks, I think, two or three weeks, that it was the highlight of their stay in Argentina was riding with Carol. It, it was a highlight for our children, definitely. And I agree with you. She is legendary. She is, she is uh, mythical. <laughs> I mean, she, she is like, uh, for me, she's a, like a beautiful female John Wayne. She, yes. <laughs> she's um, the whole experience. And you're absolutely right. It is the whole experience. It is seeing the horses she picks out for you and sort of the stories of how these horses live free in this national park. And again, going back to not just Carol, but the whole country having this very special relationship with nature. So the horses, yes. her horses are treated like wild horses and they are absolutely free. And when she wants to use them for one of her guests to, to take a ride, she actually goes and catches them, but she sort of finds them. And sometimes it takes her an hour, an hour and a half to actually find her horses. And, and then she brings them in to the stable and prepares the horses for the ride. But they are absolutely free before and after. And the, the, the way she knows these horses, you know, for example, for our daughter, our youngest daughter, who is eight, who was not yet eight at the time, was seven and a half. She picked this little pink horse, this, you know, sort of. <laughs> so there was this girl who was obsessed with pink on a pink horse, wearing her pink jacket, riding out into the into the national park. Even the attention, that attention, you know, sort of to to her guests and to her horses. Afterwards, it was the first time that we had Mate. And mm -hmm. so, so included in this visit, so you go out and you have this, this ride and kind of a whole day affair and you come back and then there's a, an asado prepared for you by her gauchos. And again, there too, the attention that was paid to what kind of meat do you want and mm -hmm. how do you want it prepared? And Carol is sitting there telling you her stories while she's cutting the cabbage up. And yeah, it's, it's so, it is such an experience. It is unbelievable. And then we were, we were kind of sitting around and talking and I think we had completely overstayed our welcome. I mean, I think we were just so comfortable um, I don't know. They, that's part part of the asado is to like, I think it's a compliment to the asador when you are at ease and you do, you do stay. It's not expect, it's not transactional in that way that like you come and your time here includes an asado and we expect that to take about 45 minutes and then we expect you to leave around X time like that. That's like one of the beautiful parts of Argentine culture is it's really like you just get your mall back and put your feet up and you go with it. And that's that's what the asado is. And absolutely. It was sort of exactly like I mean, I think from an American point of view, we had overstayed our welcome. We stayed way longer than what I would have expected for a French dinner. Right. <laughs> so yeah. much less an American dinner. So we had been there after the ride for two hours, two and a half hours, we're just sitting there. And again, I don't know if everybody would stay that long, but we were just kind of 
fascinated by her and her gauchos are sitting there. And, and it's not also one, a one-way street. So it's not just kind of Carol lecturing. It's we were sharing experiences and stories. And I do believe that they enjoyed it as well. And then at some point this, this it came out that we had never had um, uh, mate. And it just, it was so natural. There was no hesitation, you know, sort of sometimes when you would think like, okay, we've done enough for you. What are you asking for dessert? And you know, your cake and you want to yeah. eat it too. You know? <laughs> but then there's this like, oh, well, you can't leave without trying mate. And yeah. so this, this excitement of sharing mate with us and it gets prepared and explained and then another story and another. And I, I think she had brought out some desserts then at some point as well. And it's just, and that's what, what touched me the most about Argentina. And now we, we gave the example of Carol Jones, but that was our experience with everybody. Yeah. There was just such a hospitality, such a generosity that I found it humbling and so incredibly touching. I mean, I was reduced to tears several times by, by this openness of the people. It was a truly beautiful place to be so you know what's what's funny about that for me too so we had the same experience like the 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 warmth the generosity the time that people are willing to and want to spend like we were told by a couple of people that Patagonia is known for being like the people are colder in Patagonia and you know, Matt and I would just say, like, if this is cold, like, what are they, what are they like in other parts of the country? Because, I mean, it's just hard to even imagine. Like, it was the opposite of what anything I would think of as cold. But I guess, like, they somehow, relative to other parts, like, have a little bit of that reputation. And it's well, all perhaps, just what's your baseline. Well, perhaps it's also, I mean... Uh, when we when we were there and we met a lot of your friends, Argentine and but a lot of expats as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's that as well, that there there are a lot of expats, a lot of tourists in in this area. Also, one of the things about Bariloche, if I may say this, that I didn't like as much was that it really looked like little Switzerland. So yes. a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the architecture was for me, it looked like little Switzerland, little Germany, mm -hmm. um, which I guess for me, it bothered me because it didn't seem authentic, but of course it is authentic. It is part of Argentina. One of my other guests that I interviewed when I asked them to stereotypically des describe different Latin American countries, what they said, what he said about Argentinians was that they are wannabe Europeans. So maybe this is, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a lot of pride in the European background. So people, you know, everyone knew very much where their family was from and it was very recent and they had a lot of cultural traditions and, you know, especially Italy. Uh, I could see, I've heard that too. And I could, I could see that, that the, you know, it's a distinction, right? That it's one of the things that makes Argentina feel different is how European it is compared to, I mean, maybe except for Uruguay, I think is similar, but other than that, probably pretty much every country in South America, it's really distinct for that. And that's, yeah, there's definitely, I think a pride that goes along with that. 
In terms of the architecture, though, I think that, you know, they were recreating, like, so a lot of them came from Northern Italy, for example, and they're recreating, you know, what they would, the architecture of that area, because it's what they know. It's also the reason that there's a, a lot of chocolate in Argentina that apparently came from, they brought those traditions from Italy for how to make chocolate. And so you travel through Argentina and there's fabulous, fabulous chocolate in the middle of these mountain towns, right? Yeah. And, and I, and actually we discovered that, you know, in Germany here, if you go, I learned that if you go somewhere and you want to sort of bring something, you know, chocolates like sweets, when you go to someone's house who, that you, that you don't know that well, you go to Aqua. It's just a company here. And I thought it was German. It's Argentinian. Oh, it wow. It comes from Cordoba, or the origin wow. of Aqua. And it's like an absolute institution here, right? It's like, it's the, you know what I mean? When like you want to bring something hard. really special and it's kind of a little bit expensive and it's, you know, especially for people you don't know, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the perfect and they can get Yeah. I thought I was telling them about it and they were like, that's Argent, that's, that's from Cordoba. So. Wow. I'm not surprised. But chocolate and gelato, right? The gelato is also a very big deal. You don't see regular, you see four gelato stores for every regular ice cream store. So, you know, a lot of the traditions definitely came straight from Europe, especially Southern Europe. And I think they, they appreciate, they enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And the food as well, right? I mean, there are the, 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 there's the asado, of course, and there's the, the, the empanadas and, and everything, but, but it was very European as far, a lot more than what I would have expected. There was a lot less of this, you know, traditional rice and bean dishes. Uh, no, you don't or, get that or, at all. Hmm? Or yeah, food no dishes rice. or things, you know, like a lot less of that. No, it's really, I mean, really meat-based in terms of the diet, right? I've never eaten so much meat in my life. Like left to my own devices, I might eat meat once every week or two. And we were eating meat probably four or five times a week just because like, that's kind of what's available. That's what you do in Argentina. And it's really good. I mean, it's like some of the best, uh, the best beef you can get anywhere. But yeah, it's not rice and beans. It's not plantains. It's not tortillas. It's not, you can get empanadas, but like, that's about it. Well, with the empanadas, with the empanadas, when we first got there, we were, you know, there are vegetable empanadas, there's chicken empanadas, there's uh, beef empanadas, there's all these different empanadas. And we were sort of, which one should we get? And we were told by Argentinians, you know, sort of for sure, even at a place where you're getting these empanadas for cheap, get the beef empanadas because those are going to be great. You know, the, the vegetable empanadas might have pesticides on them or something, but, but the beef empanadas, the beef is just unbelievable. And again, you know, my husband next to sort of being excited about the thongs uh, on the beaches and at the pools. <laughs> One of the other things that was super excited was that was the, yeah, the abundance of really amazing beef in the grocery stores even. So he was, he was oh, yeah. going crazy with when, whenever we were at these houses where we were cooking for ourselves and <laughs> just making these big grilling, right? These big asados. Yeah, I mean, and he got into the spirit of the asada. It's undeniable in Argentina. There's a there's an amazing documentary that was out on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there about um Todo sobre el asado. Did I you see that? that? I watched that. Yeah, it's awesome. 
it's like fascinating too. I mean, the whole cultural perspective on like why the asado is so important, but like we heard the same advice about the meat empanadas on Riyadh. And it's true. It's totally true. Like everything else, maybe, maybe not in terms of being good, the meat empanada every time. Right. So, but what are we going to do with this in the sort of environmental sense, right? We all know that cows and raising cattle is a bit of a problem for the environment. Any views on this? I mean, how is that ever going to be changed in Argentina? I, I just don't, I don't see it changing. I don't, I mean, I'd be shocked. It's such an institution. Like it's such a big part. The Argentines that I met were very all in on like keeping the environment, like you mentioned, super clean. You never see trash. Um, very supportive of having like a green environment. But I don't, I think taking away the cattle would be just, would be across the line. But it is, I mean, it is happy cows. I mean, these cows, again, are on pastures, grazing on grass. They're really yeah, very free. It's, there's enough space and they are completely free of, uh, you know, they're not being fed anything or, or given antibiotics no. or anything like that. They are, they are free grazing, roaming the, the, the countryside. Yeah, that's true. And it's huge, right? It's such a huge country. And, the, you know, we drove, we drove all the way down to almost the southern tip of it. And you see some of these cattle ranches down there and there's nothing around them. You know, there's, there's not a lot of stuff that could probably, you could probably grow on that land. So mm. I don't know. I don't see it going anywhere. Mm. Okay. So let me, let me just do two more questions. Um, one is you and I were both in the group of Latin Americans uh, at KU. Okay. We love that crowd. We love the barbecues and the dancing and the, the camaraderie. And the, I mean, we just, we both like that a lot. There was a lot, it was, and this is one of the things, and a lot of the guests that I have are from that group, right? It's been great to reconnect with them and to see, to hear their points of view. And one of the things that I keep asking them is, we as gringas saw them all as Latin Americans, right? Kind of grouped into one, but they were from everywhere and they had a lot of rivalry, maybe even some animosity, even though they, they also very much supported each other and, and belonged to the same group. What, what are your memories of, of that particular group and of our times back at KU with the Latinos, right? And did you pick up on any of these differences as well amongst them i don't think i picked up on any on a lot of that at the time i mean i yeah i don't think i was sensitive enough to like the differences between the venezuelan and the panaman and the colombian um it was all like very much like a group that i associated with fun like lots of enjoying life and dance, lots of dancing. One of my memories though, that like, if I think back to that time in that group was, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but sometime when we were in college, there was the world cup event where the Colombian goalie accidentally kicked the ball into his own goal. Do you remember that? And they, and he was murdered for it. He was because there was like that, in, in Colombia, because there was like that commitment to football 
to like that degree that a mistake like that was so unforgivable for he was assassinated. I don't know that. Yeah, it had it happened when we were in school, and I remember hearing about that and just having kind of you know no understand like being so unable to kind of relate relate that to like the experience I was having that was so like light and fun and social and like dancing and parties and it seemed like this camaraderie across groups and then like this serious this incredible deadly seriousness about a sport and I remember talking to some friends at the time about it who were who were from different Latin American countries and none of them were surprised by it and so that was just like I remember just a moment that stands stands out to me about like this realization of like all the things you don't know right and like how at the surface I was in terms of like how I was enjoying the time with the the group at that time like I I had been to Brazil but I think that was it in terms of like Latin American countries I'd visited Brazil, Brazil and Mexico you know, and it was just that moment of like, wow, like there's so much I don't know and don't understand and don't, cause they weren't, they weren't surprised at all. Mm. And thank you for saying that. And that's, that's, I think something that I, you know, I mean, this whole podcast is a bit sort of <laughs> me reconnecting with my identity and my cultural identity. And I have, I really embraced the Latin American country culture. That's how I learned Spanish. I, I, I mean, five years of my life, at least, were really centered around mainly these guys, right? I mean, sort of, uh, they just, they were so attentive and so nice and they always cooked and they were fun. And it was like, you know, sort of, oh my goodness, I just, I totally, I was totally into it and 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 loved every minute of it. But, and I've said this already uh, in, in other episodes of this season, I'm embarrassed to say, and exactly what you're saying, I was just a silly 20-something-year-old thinking I knew everything and, uh, and enjoying the time with them, but never really taking the time to get to know their culture, to get to know. like yeah. There was such a source of information right there, and I was just too busy you know, dancing and eating and flirting and, you know, whatever, um, which great. I mean, sort of, I'm glad I did. And I'm, you know, your twenties are for that, but there was just so much. And I think that's something that I would like to emphasize with this podcast. And I think that's also why I wanted to talk to you for sure, is that I really would say that to all my younger listeners, like this time, these, 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 experiences and these these connections that you can have when you're sitting next to someone in class who's from a different culture talk to them don't be on your iphone you know doing whatever or don't be too much in your i gotta get my credit points for my major take the time to get into activities and to to actually explore other people's uh, opinions and even if they're completely different from yours Take the time to talk to them, find out what their their opinion is. I mean, before you decide that they're wrong or, you know, well, so and, yeah. I mean, just to be curious, right? And if you go into that spirit, you mentioned that at the beginning of our, our conversation, like this kind of spirit of appreciating differences and like 
having different viewpoints and like that that's sort of the whole point of your podcast but being curious about other people and where they're from and like what they do and what's interesting about them and like asking those questions I think like the whole thing about not knowing what you don't know gets in the way and like then we don't ask questions but it's it's like the only way forward I mean it just so it brings back something I've thought about before, which is um I remember like as a teenager, like going on these trips abroad, and it was such a big deal for me, like like such a big deal. And I would come home and I would like be dying to tell all these details about, you know, going to Versailles and you know what I thought about it and my experiences and like getting the immediate sense that nobody was interested, right? That, did you have a good trip? Okay, great. Here's what happened while you were gone. And, you know, learning just not to talk about those things because nobody was interested. And hearing you kind of bring this up and just thinking about all those lost opportunities, I wonder if there isn't some of that for people who come from different countries, like the people that we knew at KU who just, you know, why talk if nobody's listening and you just sort of, don't even share it, right? Or don't even try and just, I'm going to just enjoy it on the superficial level because nobody's interested. Mm. And what a, what a loss for everyone, right? Mm. Well, you know, I completely agree with you. I, 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 and I think, again, that's my whole point with this podcast. It's like sort of, let's find out. Let's, let's talk. Let's, let's communicate about this. When we came back from Argentina, and I won't say, you know, specifics, but out of we have three children, not all their teachers, two of them <laughs> really had them do a presentation, uh, two of their classroom teachers, right? Their, their homeroom teachers had them do uh, a presentation about it and sort of actually asked and was curious, but one completely didn't care. And actually we just, it's, it, it's been really difficult to come back with, you know, we, we were gone for four months. So uh, we've had a lot to catch up on, right? So we haven't had a chance to do it yet, but we really want to have um, a party at our house and have our children, especially, but also our friends um, and show our, I don't know, 10,000 really amazing pictures that we took um, and give the kids as well the chance to talk about it. And it, it has to do with what you're saying, because it is true that this, an experience like that should not be ignored. We should not learn that people are not interested. Yeah. Um, so, so both sides, we should go, you know, very uh, on our own initiative and try to talk about these things. And we should also definitely ask questions. Yeah, I, I, I love that you're planning to do that, though, like to create that, that place that like, all right, if it's not going to happen organically, if the teachers aren't going to do it, and the friends aren't all going to do it, let's create a space for it. And let's just make it happen. Um, I also just had the thought that, you know, going back to the, maybe the regrets about opportunities we missed in, in those times that like our university days, the positive side of that though, is it sparked that lifelong appreciation. So even though like, maybe we didn't, re at, the, at the time, it just felt like parties and flirting and dancing and all of that, it did spark something that I think was deeper for both of us. And maybe for other people like us that were part of that group, but that weren't from it, that have had like lifelong connections to those communities that they wouldn't necessarily have had. Cause you have this association that's very positive. 
when you're older, have more resources, it's still there. Like it was still there for me. Mm. And reconnecting with some of these friendships, it's it's really interesting because there is a, a very strong bond there. There is, you know, sort of, so that's not sort of all these meals, <laughs> all these shared, yeah. me, shared meals uh, were not lost. I mean, there is a, you know, I mean, I really spent an unbelievable amount of my time with these Latin Americans. I mean, uh, do you remember the house, the one, the, the one house where, where we had all these different parties yeah. and dinners? And I mean, I was eating there, I don't know, four or five times a week. I mean, yeah. sort of sharing my meals and, you know, my dog, I was walked together with people remember your dog. I mean, you remember my dog so so it was it was just like sort of everything everything i i did was 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 somehow linked to to this i mean and 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 that yeah. that has that has stayed the emotion has stayed like you said the interest has stayed and um and you know better late than never to find things out right yeah you know seeds are planted and maybe it takes a little longer to to germinate right, right? but it's right. there yeah so let's end it with, on a very serious note. Maybe <laughs> let's end it on a serious note. What do you think are the biggest problems that you see in Argentina and Latin America today and possibly for the future? And I think you touched upon one of them and that's violence. Um, I mean, there's violence, but like, I mean, this is obviously very colored by my personal experience, but like also education that if, if educate if if a good high standard of education is reserved for people in cities and most of the country is not in the city um that's a pretty big divide right and uh i think that with the pandemic that got worse and so i don't know how representative the experience we had was or what the long term impact maybe it's the right thing to focus on emotional well-being but I, I have concerns about that that if that if you don't catch up on education that gaps grow wider and disparities increase and all of these problems that were already there like you know the domestic violence and things like that they don't get better with that so mm. that that that's something that I've thought about. Jane, any closing thoughts? No, I love talking to you, Andrea. It's so like so fun and refreshing just to think about these things and to have the space to like think about the the women that I met and the schools that we went to and the towns that we visited and like you know the art and nature. I mean, it's I think having these dialogues is is really beautiful and like helps me see the country that we spent two years with with a different perspective also the perspective that that you bring to it and thinking about nature as art so thank you for that like you've given me some kind of some takeaway with it <laughs> well thank you for your insights and i'm sure i'll have you back on the podcast again well you're one of my favorite guests <laughs> i love that thank you andrea thank you jane Bye.